Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight we are going to start the beginning of chapter 32. Honestly, tonight's going to be an introduction to chapter 32. The heart of the Tanya. Tonight's class is sponsored by Basha in honor, in memory, and in observance of her mother's Yartzite. Nechabas Moshe and her soul should go straight in front of God and ask for all blessings for all of her children, her descendants, and all of Israel for good things. Yeah, please pass around these handouts. Um, tonight we're going to primarily be using this handout that we've prepared. And before we talk about Tanya, I want to talk about tonight and tomorrow. Tonight is the 10th day of, Tamos, of, of Tavis. The 10th of Tavis. And starting from the crack of dawn is a, is a fast day. Um, and just actually for our conversation here, I'll quickly bring up what time the fast starts tomorrow. Um, it's going to start, it actually starts late and it ends early. It's the shortest. It's the, it's the fast fast. It's the fastest fast of the year. That would be correct. Yes. Um, here, it's a break before the solstice. Yes, like yes. the shortest day of the year. Yeah. Right. It's the shortest the, fast. The, the fast of Yule. Yeah. The fast begins tomorrow, Portland time, six o four a.m. and ends tomorrow, five o four p.m. When does it begin? Six o four a.m. and it ends tomorrow, five o four. There are different. Okay. So, why? So, I want to discuss the fast, and then I think it's going to bring us to an unbelievable insight about the fast. Um, that's really going to tie into exactly the conversation of Avat Yisrael, loving your fellow friend, loving your fellow Jew. Um, for the first two quotes, I've quoted here from the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, authored by Rabbi Shlomo Gansfried, just to give us a little background to the idea of fasting and to the Tenth of Thomas. The idea of fasting, why do we fast? When we fast, I'll, I'll try and summarize, but you're welcome to look ahead in number one and two. A fasting, the, the point of the fast is not the fast. The point of the fast is to think about what we have done that needs to be corrected. Fasting is supposed to help us go ahead and have really have the introspect introspection. Someone that fasts, and just to quote from the end, the last three lines of number one, therefore those who while fasting spend the time taking walks and doing trivial things take hold of the least important aspect of the fast while ignoring the essence of the fast. In other words, people that the whole fast are focused on fasting and they'll do anything not to break the fast aside from focus on what we're supposed to be, they've taken the primary item and, make it, and made it secondary. How do we know that the primary thing is not to fast? We know the story of Yonah. Yonah was sent by God to the city of Nineveh. He tried to run away from God. A fish swallowed him. We read the story Yom Kippur of, uh, by Mincha of Yom Kippur. And in the story of, of Yonah, when Yonah goes to Nineveh and God forgive, forgives the inhabitants of Nineveh, we learn 
and God saw their deeds. He forgave them because God saw their deeds. It does not say He saw their sackcloth and their fast. Hashem did not forgive them because He saw their sackcloth and fast. Hashem forgave them because of their deeds. So the primary point of a fast is really for us to focus and have that introspection. What exactly happened tonight and tomorrow? The tenth day of Tevis number two is a fast day because of the king, the king of Babylonia, the wicked Nebuchadnezzar approached Jerusalem, laid siege to it, and crushed it. And this ultimately ultimately led to the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash. So st- today, on the tenth of Tammuz, Nebuchadnezzar, the tenth. Thank you very much. The tenth of Tevet, um, Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem, and the Jewish people were not able to go in and out. We actually learn that this fast, in a sense, is the most serious in one aspect. Because this was the beginning of ultimately the destruction of the temple. So although the destruction of the temple was the worst, but this was the beginning, and in a sense this was the worst step taken. Because of that, this is the only fast day that we fast on a Friday. Even if it falls out on a Friday, we will fast on this fast day because of that um, seriousness that comes with it. Please. Does that make it does that make it more of a strict fast day than like the Son Gedalia or something like that? No. There's generally we have like Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av which are extremely strict right. and the other fasts fall in a category where they're not as strict. But within them, there is this strictness of the 10th of Tevet that you will fast on Yom Kippur to stress this point that sometimes the beginning is the worst, is the worst moment. The fact that we were able, even able to have siege around Jerusalem is a very serious moment for us. Why did Hashem allow Jerusalem to be surrounded? In other words... What, was Hashem, what, did Hashem, what did God want from us? This is an unbelievable point. What did God want from us? I want you to imagine, there's two separate examples. I'll share both of, you, both of them, and at the end you'll tell me which one you like better. They share an example of a, of a, co- of a college student, a hippie, ba- a hippie guitar player, a soccer mom, and a real intellectual college professor that go into an elevator together. They press level 32 and the elevator gets stuck for four hours. They're stuck in this elevator, these people that have nothing in common, a soccer mom, a hippie guitar player, intellectual college professor, and you know, a young college student. Naturally, they would never talk to each other. Now they're going to be stuck for four hours in the elevator. Are they going to get along? Well, after they start screaming or whatever, they, once they calm down, what's going to happen? They're going to start to get to know each other. They're going to get to know each other. Maybe the guitarist is going to calm them all down. He'll sing some songs for them. All of a sudden, they're going to, they're going to find what's similar between them. Initially, we get stuck by the differences, but there's more, we have more in common with each other than we don't have in common. I'll give you another example they share. It's two people that have life-threatening illnesses. They're classmates. 
that were in, in school together for many years, never had anything in common, all of a sudden they both end up in the same hospital room. And they're there for, you know, three weeks together. All of a sudden they're going to start seeing all the commonalities and what they have in common. They'll be able to build this friendship. Once we pull back, we remove the superficial items within us that we have so much in common. And this is why God surrounded Jerusalem. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to surround Jerusalem. Let's see number three together. I learned this just last night. I didn't prepare. Then when I learned it, I'm like, I must share this tomorrow. Let's see that number three. None of this is a quote the Rebbe is sharing about <coughs> the tenth of Tevet. None of the Jew Jews in Jerusalem and Jerusalem were able to leave. They needed to meet each other daily. What happened by the siege is all of a sudden, I need to talk to Maisha Mendel. Hi, Maisha Mendel, how are you? I've never spoken to you in seven years, but now I'm stuck with you. This, thus, Yerushalayim is called the city which became knit together. Ir Shechobra Layachtav. Yerushalayim, have you heard this quote before? Yerushalayim Habenuya, Ir Shechobra Layachtav. Yerushalayim is a city that will be rebuilt. It's a city that brings everyone together. Yerushalayim is a place where the Jewish people at that time they were stuck together, hopefully to unite. This started from the first moment that the king of Babel surrounded Yerushalayim, a unity right away started between the Jews who were in Yerushalayim. The, the reason that Hashem allowed Yerushalayim to be in the siege was Hashem was trying to send a message. Get together. Have unity. Unfortunately, the sad part is the opposite happened. As we learn in the Talmud, that not only did they not have unity, if you know the... Um, there was a lot of infighting and uh, there were bandits, with, uh, we call them bandits amongst the Jewish people who destroyed all the food. There was enough food in Yerushalayim and Jerusalem to last for many years. Um, actually, Rabbi Akiva's father-in-law, Bar Kachba, was one of the wealthiest Jewish people at the time. You're familiar with the whole story? I'm not going to go the, into it. Isn't this during the Roman? Yeah, there were three. Yeah, there were th what? You're talking about Babylon. It was the second temple, though, wasn't it? Oh, actually, you're right. I appreciate that. I'm, 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 I'm confusing the two time periods. But nonetheless, the message, why did Hashem allow the Jewish people to be surrounded at this time? He was trying to tell them to have unity. And unfortunately, they did not, it didn't accomplish its task. And the, the temple was ultimately destroyed. And with this, I think we could really kind of throw ourselves in to tonight's topic, which is truly loving your fellow <coughs> as yourself. I'd like to start it off by sharing two stories. Just right there. Two stories with you on this topic. Both of them... I also just read recently, but they really bring out the point so well. Rabbi Reichik was an emissary of the Rebbe in Los Angeles. And he studied in a Tvotsk in Poland for a few years until the war started and he eventually had to run away. The whole story how he ran away to safety, thank God. America. And right after he got married, literally a few weeks, um, not a few weeks later, a short while after he got married, this is your grandfather. my grandfather, thank you, he was sent by the previous Rebbe to Los Angeles. And 
around 1950, a friend who learned with him in Yeshiva Netvatsk was also in Los Angeles and asked Rabbi Reichik to assist him in getting a partnership with another man for business. So Rabbi Reichik agreed. He tried, but he was unsuccessful. His friend was feeling very rejected and placed the blame on Rabbi Reichik. Slowly his resentment grew to the point where they ceased to talk. No talking. Quite a sad story. You've gone through the war together. You both end up in safety and unfortunately at this point they're not talking. So one time Rabbi Reichik is in 770. He's come to visit the Rebbe. And the Rebbe's secretary says that the Rebbe wants to know how is the relation, how's your friend doing? So Rabbi Reichik says, we lost, we lost touch. And the Rebbe responded, Vas is mit avas Yisrael. What about the mitzvah to love your fellow Jew? Listen to this. Rabbi Reichik tried assisting this man in a business deal. It wasn't successful. The man is now mad at him and broken off all relationship, and yet the Rebbe turns to him and says, what's with the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew? Okay, so Rabbi Reichik gets this message, and he just started attending all of this individual simchos, celebrations, whether or not he was invited. <laughs> Similarly, the man was recuperating from an operation, Rabbi Reichik himself not well, made an effort to visit him. Another occasion, this man was not well. And Rabbi Reichik took pictures of their time in yeshiva together to go and remnants about, about yeshiva. Later on, many years later, the man got up and said that Rabbi Reichik is my best friend. At that moment, Rabbi Reichik said, okay, now I fulfill the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael. Powerful story. Powerful story. What's the story? The story is telling us it's not about who's right and wrong. Avas Yisrael is not that it's Lev's fault and therefore I'm not responsible to be friends with him. It's not about, it's not about fault, it's not about blame. We, we have a mitzvah command to love each other. Regardless of, who, of who's accountable here. We must truly appreciate and love each other. Story number one. Story number two, this story takes us to the town of Polotsk in Russia. And there was a simple, simple man named Yisrael. A st- an innkeeper, a simple man. He was not very academic. And he wasn't able to really um, appreciate, understand, and take in the insights that he would hear. He would, when, when someone would share something with him, he would grab two or three lines. And that's what he understood. He once went to visit Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, the Tzemach Tzedek, and this was Parshas Vayera. He was there, the Parsha, when we learn about Avraham Avinu, and Av- having his tent with four walls, and how he would be kind to everybody, and how the angels came. We learn all about the kindness of Avraham Avinu. And by this talk, Rabbi Menachem Mendel was sharing a quote 
And this quote itself, I just want to see the quote. They don't quote it here. I think it's a quote either from the Talmud or perhaps from the Zohar that says that when Avraham was born, the attribute of kindness came to God and said, I'm out of business. It's not fair. I am the attribute of kindness. And here comes Abraham and he's putting his efforts to love another person, be kind to them. He's putting me out of business. He's much greater than I. And the Rebbe was giving an entire discourse discussing what does this mean that there's the attribute of kindness in heaven? What does it mean that Abraham was able to replace it? Yisrael understood nothing aside for the simple quote that Avraham, with his physical acts of kindness, was able to accomplish more than the attribute of kindness. That's all he understood from this, I don't know, hour, two hour, three hour long talk. And he gets back to his city in Polotsk, and the people there are like, tell us what the Rebbe said. He's like, I don't know. He tells them, I, I only know one quote. The quote is that the physical kindness of Avraham Avinu is greater than the attribute of kindness itself. A simple man. But he heard this comment and he took it to heart. The next day he goes to the market. He was a poor man himself. And he gathers together with two other friends. Nachman and Shmuel. And he goes to Nachman, another, sh- another, inke- another storekeeper. He says, Nachman, look. The ultimate level of kindness is of tzedakah. Anyone know that? What's the highest level of tzedakah according to the Rambam? The highest level of charity? is giving someone a loan. The highest level of charity is giving someone a loan, getting him started, allowing him to get on his own feet. That's the highest level. He says, let's... Avram Avinu, he he did acts of kindness, he was greater than the attribute of kindness. I'll tell you what, every day, we don't need to do this, but we're going to do it for the mitzvah. Every day we're going to loan each other a hundred dollars. Let's do it, it's a good idea. I'll loan you a hundred dollars, you loan him, he loans me. We've done the mitzvah. They, they were very serious about this and they did it for a while. Every day they would come, each storekeeper would go to the other, exchange alone. Call it a spiel, right? It's just like mm-hmm. The next time Yisrael was in Labavitch, the Tzemach Sadek comes over and says, please find out a little bit more about this Yisrael. He tells one of his Secretaries, find a little bit more. So first, it was hard to find Yisrael. This guy was a simple guy that was always in the back. No one, no one ever recognized him. Finally, they find the man, and Tzemach Tzedek asks Yisrael to come into his office. And Tzemach Tzedek says, tell me, what's your daily schedule? And the man starts, my daily schedule, I'll tell you. I wake up at 5 to say till him, I drink a cup of tea, I chop down the wood, I go to Shul to pray, I learn a little bit of Torah, eat breakfast, go to the marketplace, the whole story. Later in the afternoon, I come back to Shul again for the afternoon prayers, I study a little more, the evening service, and then I go home. The Rebbe says, one second, what about giving charity? So Yisrael is very embarrassed. He says, I'm a poor man. I can't afford it. So the Rebbe is a little more persistent and Yisrael shares their custom of loaning each other money. (laughs) And the Rebbe shares, the Tzemach Tzedek shares, 
and I'm going to quote this. I saw surrounding the simple storekeeper Rabbi Yisrael a radiance, a pillar of light, as great as that of the supernal kindness. There was a radiance, a pillar of light, as great as that of the supernal kindness. Being there for somebody else, even if it's something, it may be so trivial, but truly just being there for someone else can bring down this incredible, incredible energy. That's unimaginable. So what are the two stories, what are the two lessons we have so far? Number one is, Avas Yisrael is not about loving, it's not about a relationship, a give and take. Avas Yisrael is about loving somebody else for who they are, truly appreciating and giving to them. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. And second of all, we learned that the being there for somebody else, loving somebody else can bring incredible, incredible blessings on us. And with this, I'd like to throw ourselves a little bit into the background of loving of this mitzvah. Any questions before we go ahead? Page one, we're in background number one. This is a quote from Vayikra Leviticus 19.18. And the Pasuk says, V'yahavta l'reyacha kamocha, love your fellow as yourself. Now firstly, I want to share, it's my mistake, for the future I'll edit it, but I should have really quoted the full Pasuk, the full verse. Let me read you the full verse. Because when it's in perspective, it's, it's even more it's, it's even greater. The Pasuk says, Lo sikom velo sitar You should not take revenge, nor bear a grudge against the members of your people. So number one is don't take revenge, don't bear a grudge, and continues the passage, Love your fellow as, your, as yourself. Ani Hashem, I am God. So two things I want to share. Over here, when it says, I, I, am, I am your God, over here Rashi says, what's the connection between love your fellow as your friend, I am God? So Rashi says, Nem Just don't, trust God, He's going to reward you. Sometimes it's not so, you, you ever heard of someone like, that could be annoying, like get on your nerves? Those people, just trust Hashem, He's going to, trust Hashem, He's going to reward you. But in another place, Rashi says something else, in addition. Why does it say, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem? Some of these things, only you know the truth. If you love somebody else, only you'll know. You could lie to the whole world. You could convince everybody you love everyone, and you could truly hate them. You could, you could be out... Ani Hashem, I am Hashem, and I know what's really going on. It could be people think you hate, you hate them, but you're really trying to love them. Ani Hashem, I am Hashem. The Ahafta l'reyacha kamocha. The Ahafta, you shall love your friend as yourself. Okay. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva tells us, quote number two, This is a great principle of the Torah. A great principle. A cardinal principle of the Torah is loving your fellow as yourself. So Rabbi Akiva sounds simple. 
There's a few fundamental items in the Torah. And one of them, says Rabbi Akiva, is loving your fellow as yourself. Okay, so far so... Doesn't sound complicating. Now, let's throw ourselves into the famous story everyone knows with Hillel. Fascinating story. You'll please follow along with number three. But I want to read it in the words of the Gemara. This page of the Gemara, Shabbos 31a, is telling us stories of Hillel and Shama. You, you, you've heard that famous story, Hillel was taking a shower out of Shabbos, and a man comes and asks him the most annoying questions. He says, why do the Babylonians have round eyes and, with, and the feet? If you haven't, another time I'll tell it to you. An incredible, incredible story of someone who just was trying to annoy Hillel. He Gives to Hillel or he goes, goes to Shammah? To Hillel. This specific story is, um, is Hillel. Erev Shabbos, the Hillel Chafaf, yeah, it was Erev Shabbos. But one of the stories here is a famous story everyone knows, but let's say it in the words of the Talmud, a little different perhaps that, than some people share. Shov Maiseb Echad. There was a story of a non Jew. That comes in front of Shammai, Hillel's contemporary, and he says, Convert me on condition you'll teach me the entire Torah while I'm standing on one foot. The crazy guy, he walks into your shul, Every you're in the middle of learning, you're in the middle of giving a speech. Shammai wasn't just twiddling his thumbs. He had a yeshiva going on, and a guy comes hopping in, and he says, teach me the Torah on one foot. So Shammai does what uh, I would imagine what most of us would probably do. He, he took his measuring stick, and he said, boom, you're out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're not. You're trying to, I have a yeshiva going on. Yeshiva, what are you doing here? No, no. I was like, like what are you, you're making a fool of me? I did a yeshiva here, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, you're going to embarrass me in front of my students. Out! Balif ne Hillel, he comes in front of Hillel. <laughs> what does Hillel do, Yishai? He tells me. What's the first thing he does? Well, the first thing. I only saw this, the truth is, I only saw this yesterday when I read this story. The first thing he does is gyre, he converts him. Look, at, look in the translation. They write it. It's interesting. The gentle approached Hillel who converted him. First he converted him. Oh my lie. And then Hillel says, Sani. What you hate, don't do to your friends. You want to know the whole Torah on one foot? I'll tell it to you. What you hate, do not do to your neighbor. Zuhi kala This is the entire Torah. The Edoch Pirusha, who the rest is just commentary. Zil Gamar, go and learn. Okay. Converted him on the spot? That's what it says here. Um, according to one translation. Hmm. There's, no, there's different, not one translation, there's different editings, even in the Gemara. If you, uh, if you want to look later, you'll see there's like a little star. It was more con- it was so it means that there's different. Tr- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. It, wasn't it more common around that time? There was a lot of people converting to Judaism. I'm not familiar. Could be. I apologize. I'm not familiar about that. So, a man comes before Hillel and Hillel sa- and he says, "Convert me while standing on one foot." And Hillel says, 
What you hate, don't do to your friend. That's the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go learn it. Okay? What you hate, don't do to your friend. Who's your friend, by the way? This story in the Gemara is extremely, extremely hard to understand. Are you being honest with me? The whole Torah is love your fellow friend. What is the connection between not wearing a wool and linen coat and loving your fellow friend? Is there any connection between putting on tefillin and loving your fellow friend? What, you need to slaughter an animal because you have to love your fellow friend? Ekosher? Where does loving your fellow friend... How do you say the whole Torah is loving your fellow friend? It's extremely, extremely tough to accept it's that true faith value. And many commentators don't. Most commentators don't. They're troubled by this. Let's see Rashi. Rashi in the Gemara. I've quoted it to you in English. I'm going to read it in Hebrew. I want you to hear the, the Hebrew, but uh, you can follow along in English. It says, it says Rashi, what you hate, don't do to your friend. Who is your friend? asks Rashi. So first he quotes a passage from Mishli. The passage says, Your friend and your father's friend don't forsake. Who is this? Per- so we have now a passage that says, your friend, and it's referring to God. So when... when Hillel said, don't, what you like, don't do to your friend. Who is Hillel referring to? To God. By raise of hand, out of curiosity. How many of you have heard this story and heard it translated that what you don't like, don't do to your friends, referring to God? That's what Rashi says. What you don't want to be done to yourself, don't do to somebody else, is referring to God. Isha, you ever heard that before? Liz, you heard that before? It's unbelievable. This is the first quote in Rashi. The golden rule, right? Well you, well, you don't want... To well, that would allow all those other questions you asked to be answered. Ah, right? that would answer most questions. Good, 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 good. Zeha Kadosh Baruch Hu, this is referring to God. Al-Tavar al don't transgress His words. Shaharei Alecha Sanoi, Shiaver Chavercha al-Divarecha. You're going to be annoyed if God goes against your words. You're not going to be happy if God does what you don't want. So don't do what he doesn't want. That's the first explanation in Rashi. The second, Rashi gives a second explanation. Lishna Harina, second. Chaver Chamamish. This is the one we, we always hear. It's literally referring to your friend. And what does it mean? Kigon Gezela, you wouldn't want your friend to steal from you. Geneva, Neo, Ferev, Ferev, Hamanais, and the majority of the other mitzvot. So two explanations. Rashi says, number one, what you don't want, what you don't want done to you, don't do to others is a reference, don't do to Hashem what you don't want, what you don't want Hashem to do to you. And second of all, what you don't want to do to the others is referring to a friend. But it's only referring to mitzvot that are connected with man. Stealing, right, adultery, so that's why the theft. friend is used rather, rather than God. At least in some cases, to to ah ah. 
I mean, so friend is like a code word. I, I want to digress a little bit to talk about to talk about Hillis, um, <clears throat> to talk about Moshe Mendel's point. First, I want to give you an insight into Rashi. We have a rule within Rashi, and I've quoted it here. As a rule, Rashi offers one explanation or interpretation. When he suggests two explanations, it is because each has its disadvantage. Rashi here is telling us two ways of understanding the story of Hillel. But normally Rashi only tells us one. If there's two, that means both explanations are not, are not crystal clear. Each one has a challenge. Let's just discuss it for a second. Why would naturally the first opinion be, and by the way, the first opinion Rashi quotes is generally the most important one. This is a, a rule in Rashi. So just for your clarity of your, own, of your own mind, according to Rashi, the simplest method of understanding this story is referring to God. Well, you don't want God, well, you don't want God to do to you, don't do to God. So why does Rashi give us two opinions? What do you think? Think for a minute. Why is it easier first to say that the story happened, that, that it's a reference to God? Why is it easier to say it's a reference to man? Is the question clear, Basha? So what is the answer? Baruch, why would Rashi naturally say that Hillel's comment is referring to you and God? Don't do to God what you don't want God to do to you. Why would Rashi think that's the natural meaning of this quote? What do you think, Baruch? Just to explain it to you. But why is he referring to God? Why would he choose God? Why do you think, Dr. Malov? Well, I think you alluded to it to, because that would explain why all these other misfolks are, are included. Exactly. Yeah. Naturally, Rashi says... Hillel's comment that the whole Torah is don't do to your friend. Well, if it's referring to my fellow friend, another human being, well then that doesn't explain why I need to keep Shabbos. Or, by telling me don't do to God what you don't want God to do to you, you're saying listen to God because you want God to listen to you. Now it, it would make sense. Good. That's why naturally the first opinion is that the comment is referring to your friend is God. But why is that not good enough? What's the problem with that? I can give you eight problems. Eight, eight problems? No, eight, a problem. problem. Go ahead. Well, uh, when, when most of us, I guess the word is chaver, right? Yeah. So, but, but when most people use it, it means friend, it means human friend. Yeah. And, and that's how it's commonly understood. Yeah. So. Exactly, exactly. If Hillel wanted to say, mm. Don't do to God what you don't want God to do to you. He should have said that clearly. Say that. Don't. He should have said, Don't do to God. So therefore Rashi says, you know what? Maybe, perhaps, it's referring to another human being. So Rashi is troubled. How could you say the whole Torah is, on one foot is loving your fellow friend? And many commentators are challenged. Let's look at how the Rambam translates this mitzvah in the next quote. It is a mitzvah for every person to love every individual of Israel as he loves his own self. Okay? 
He's quoting the mitzvah, you need to love your fellow as yourself. But Rashi specifies, what does that mean? But the Rambam specifies, what does that mean? You should speak favorably of another. Be considerate of his possessions, like your own possessions. You're, you want to have be honored, honor other people. So the Rambam already is limiting the mitzvah. He's not saying, the Rambam doesn't say you should love your fellow and literally love him. No, he says, I can't command you to love somebody else. He says, the mitzvah is telling you what you would do because you love yourself, do for somebody else. Not that you, not that you literally need to love him. Maybe I just don't love the guy. Okay, I'm not talking about you, my Shemelo. But may, maybe he's just so annoying. How, how could he tell you you might need to love him? So the Rambam is saying, you know, you don't really need to love everybody. You can't love, I can't tell you to love everybody. You need to treat them as if you loved them. Yes, Gershon. Also, the way the way we try we approach God as Jews, we we don't go sit on a mountain in Tibet the way maybe Tibetan monks the way Jews do that <laughs> is that well, maybe <laughs> or every other Tibetan monk anyway we, but we gather together right yeah and and because it's more more powerful when we're together. Yes. So there's there's this connection yes. that to to get closer to God, you have to get closer to felt with fellow Jews. Ah, very good. To get closer to God, you need to get closer to fellow Jews. You know, you're jumping ahead. That's amazing. Let's look at number four. Number four is an amazing, amazing quote. The love for God. The love for Torah and Ahavas Yisrael, the love of another Jew, are one. You can't love God, love the Torah, and not love another Jew. You can't love another, or you can't say you really love every Jew, love the Torah, and not love God. You can't love God and every Jew and say you don't love the Torah. Love, the love of Hashem, the love of the Torah, and the love of another Jew is one. And, you, and I'm not going to read all of these together out, out loud, but you can really see this point. You know, the Rebbe actually, he, made, he had a mission statement. That's number six. This I'm going to read to you out loud. When the previous Rebbe came to America, he said, when you go to a city, follow its customs. Here in America, people like to hear an announcement. Even better, an astonishing announcement, a statement. I don't know if such conduct is necessary, but it, when in the city, do as the people in the city do. My statement. This is the Rebbe by his opening talk, 1951. The three loves, Ahavat Hashem, love of God, Ahavat Torah, love of the Torah, and Ahavat Israel are all one. One cannot divide them, as essentially they are one. And actually the last talk, and that's what you see in the note, the last talk we have from the Rebbe also is all about love of another fellow friend. Loving God, loving the Torah, loving another Jew is all one. We can't, sub, we can't subdivide them. Thank you. So now where does this take us for now? This leads us to chapter 32. And with this we'll conclude, we'll take questions, and we'll, then we'll hear from Basha. In chapter 32, the Alter Rebbe is going to introduce how, yes, we, we actually can physically love every Jew. Often we learn you can't command someone to love. Well, there is a method that we all can come to love one another which is if we're going to be able to look past the physical looks and look past the physical qualities.
if we're going to be able to look at another Jew looking at their soul. I mean, you know the heart, you know the heart already, so you'll tell me but if, if I'm saying correct. But we're going to learn in chapter 32 how there is a way that we could all really appreciate one another, how we could all truly connect with one another. And this is the whole Torah. We're going to learn in chapter 32 that yes, this is the whole Torah. We don't need to say it's a reference. No. Actually, we're going to learn how loving another Jew is the mitzvah of putting on tefillin. We will learn in chapter 32 how by loving another Jew, we are fulfilling the mitzvah of Shadness. This is all, it's all connected. The mitzvah of Shadness is a translation on the mitzvah of loving another Jew. It's an unbelievable insight. And let me leave you with this thought. Chapter 32, what's the numerical value of 32 in Hebrew? Lamed Bet. Lamed Bet. Lamed Bet in Hebrew is? Lev. We're talking to Lev. That's his name. Lev. Lamed Bet is is Lev. Chapter 32 in Hebrew, the the numerical value of it is heart. Is Lev. Now, if you'll follow with me, you'll see that this chapter in Tanya doesn't belong here. Let me try and quickly explain. In chapter 31, what we just previously concluded, we learned how a method of coming to true, to true, to true simcha, to true joy, is by thinking how lucky we are that Hashem how lucky we are that we are a part of Hashem if you focus on your soul and you put away your body in chapter 31 we learned how lucky we are that we a low human being have a part of God in us that was one method of being happy chapter 31 chapter 33 is going to tell us a second method of happiness is by thinking how God is within us a second method Chapter 32 doesn't belong there. Say the two methods of happiness. Chapters, and then tell us about, about whatever the topic is. The Alter Rebbe specifically chose chapter 32 to be about loving your fellow friend, to, tell, to stress this point. The heart of Tanya, the heart of a Jew, the heart of who we are is loving your fellow friend. Could I say one more thought? I said this would be my last thought. Could I say one more? I'll say one more. In, in many circles, there's a big, big stress on Shemirah Salashon, guarding, guarding, your, guarding your words. And amongst Hasidim, and amongst Chabad in particular, we don't often talk about Shemirah Salashon. It's a holy thing. And to be really clear and honest, for example, the Chafetz Chaim was a holy, holy Jew. But yet, amongst Chabad, we don't, we don't have a tremendous drive to talk often about guarding our words. And people came and they complained. They said, why is it that when you come to Chabad Yeshiva, you don't see people studying daily? Because many people have a daily, daily study in Shemira Salasha. And they said, why don't we find that in the Chabad Yeshivas? And the answer is this. The answer is that we try and get to the core of the issue. 
the focus that we want to have is on loving a fellow person. Truly, truly appreciating them. And this is automatically going to keep you back from talking bad about somebody. We know the first issue that someone, God forbid, could have in a marriage is when the couples, they make fun of each other. They start talking against each other. If you love somebody, you're not going to make fun of them. If you appreciate somebody, you're not going to make fun of them. So by trying to push to the court, to the essence of the issue, that's a method of really controlling your language. So not that we don't talk about guarding your language. On the contrary, we really want to try and get to the core of the issue. Get to the lave. Did I say correct lave? Okay, look at that. I, I've, I've never felt so, cl so clear that the class was a success. Today I'm hearing from the heart himself. You said it correctly. In Israel, <laughs> they, don't, in Israel they don't know this. You understand the Segolim and Tzere. Oh, you're, asking, you're saying I said your name correctly. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Are there any questions? I, this was an introduction. Next week we'll get straight into the, into the text. Let's recap. Let's just summarize. Number one. Love of your fellow... F what? Not next week. Not, not next week. Mm -hmm. Number one is love of your fellow friend is something that we need to actively work on. It's not about the other person, it's about us. Number two is it drinks, brings us tremendous, tremendous energy and blessing. Number three is this is the whole Torah. The whole Torah is loving your fellow friend. The whole Torah is loving. Unfortunately, let's just say the opposite. Someone that knows the whole Torah but doesn't love his fellow friend is not keeping the Torah. Someone that is not so knowledgeable in Torah but loves his fellow friend is fulfilling the Torah. And we concluded by saying that naturally it's hard to understand how loving your fellow friend could be the whole Torah. And that's what we're going to learn in Tanya that yes, in chapter 32, that the whole Torah literally is an explanation on love of your fellow friend. Sorry, any, any questions? No. Basha, please, a few words.